Hello, this is your host, Dr. Daniel Avasar. I am a brain injury survivor turned neuroscientist. I got into neuroscience to help me make sense of what happened to my mind after my traumatic brain injury. When I was 18 years old, I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury, and it took me about seven years to regain my cognition, my memory, and to get used to the changes that took place in my mind. I hid what I had been through, and I worked very hard at school. I earned a PhD in neuroscience from Dartmouth, followed by a postdoc researcher position at the University of Oregon. I studied the brain at a neurophysiological, cellular, and systems level, which left me with a bottom-up perspective of what had changed in me after my brain injury. But across my recovery, my education, and my research, I never found anything that accurately represents the brain injury survivor's experience. Once I started meeting other brain injury survivors, I realized how important it is to hear about our experiences firsthand. This podcast is devoted to in-depth discussion with other brain injury survivors, focused on our experiences, our problems, and the ways we have found to navigate our lives and our struggles. I hope to connect brain injury survivors through our stories. I hope to help the non-brain injured world learn more about what we are dealing with. And when possible, I hope to connect what is known about the brain with our unique experiences. Welcome to Experiencing My Brain. The views and opinions expressed in the Experiencing My Brain podcast are intended to promote awareness and provide information of what brain injury survivors have to deal with. This information should not be considered as medical or clinical advice. Consult with a qualified healthcare provider if you or any other person are experiencing any medical issues. Never disregard or delay medical advice because of something that you may have heard on this podcast. The next day I had this appointment and they were like offering me this treatment plan where they they were going to teach me how to do things that I excel at. <laughs> Interesting. And they were requiring me to have skills that I flat out told them I don't have and that I needed help with. Nancy had her first major brain injury when she was three years old and then another major head injury when she was 60. I met Nancy online through the traumatic brain injury support groups. She is one of the most supportive people I have met and yet we've never even met in person. This recording picks up right at the start of our first discussion, the first time we spoke outside of the uh, TBI support group. In the beginning of the recording, there's a good amount of noise. Both her and I are doing housework, and um, that's a mistake that I've made across many of the early recordings, but just hang in there because the noise doesn't last too long. After my brain injury, I was always hiding what I was experiencing. Getting to know Nancy has helped me to advocate for myself, to be honest about my limitations, and to be okay with how others respond to what I am going through, especially when they don't respond the way I hope. I hope you enjoy this first episode of Experiencing My Brain. What, um, what remained my, invisible, if you don't mind my me My difficulty with learning and communicating with people, 
I just sort of was thought of as different mm -hmm. or maybe a problem. Right. Um, because I, like, didn't know how to behave properly. But people didn't necessarily help me with that. You know, I was more shunned or made fun of or whatever. But, you know, and I didn't know that other people weren't having the same experience. Yeah, that's a huge, a huge factor because it's so, um, I guess it's hard to put a finger on it, but it, it's your experience in full. And so you can't really compare it to someone else's experience. Uh, right. Well, and also, um, I was, I was pretty young when I was noticing these things. So it wasn't like suddenly I'm different because I was still developing. Right. Right. And I was thinking the other day because just yesterday I actually saw a doctor I was telling him about my early school experience and how, you know, what I was observing but not able to make full sense out of. Mm -hmm. um, because I had three older siblings. And so when I would go into school, they would, you know, put me in a certain reading group or whatever. I mean, it looked like that's what they did based on what my siblings had been in. Right. And then they'd promptly move me to a different group, but not tell me anything or explain anything. Mm. So it just really felt like I must be underachieving, but didn't know why, you know, or any of those things. So then, and I'll just fast forward really far, but I'll just say that when I was three years old, my parents were, that's not fast forward, this is back in the beginning, <laughs> sorry. My parents were um, having a house built for us to live in, and we were in the kitchen looking at this unfinished, uh, you know, building, and all of a sudden I remember being next to a cinder block in the basement looking through this hole above where... My family was looking very concerned. Oh, wow. So uh, you fell through so a I, hole? Yeah, like where there were supposed to be steps, but they oh. hadn't been built yet. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, it was like just a unfinished pit was the basement. Right. And, you know, there was nothing for me then because, oh, thank God, she's still breathing. She's right. all right. Right. She's fine. So it was after... Well, I don't even remember before that, but um, I just know that there were times where, you know, I just felt like people were treating me differently, like there was something wrong and, and sort, sort of like my education was based on getting my hand slapped for doing it the wrong way, but mm -hmm. not being told what the right way was. Yeah. Now, I think there are people without brain injuries that have lives like that. Yeah, and I didn't get sent to the office, and I didn't get pulled out for a separate classroom. I just kind of just got tolerated and ignored, and people rolled their eyes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Also had friends, um, I think. <laughs> Funny, because right now I feel like I don't. But um, um, was a very active child and 
into adulthood, I, I got my, you know, affirmations from being an athlete. And so that also means that I got hurt a lot too. Yeah. Um, and, um, was a soccer player at a time when it, it was a cutting edge for a girl to play soccer in sure, my sure. years. So, and I played into my forties and when I, uh, ruptured my anterior cruciate and I wasn't really able to go back after that because I didn't have a full recovery. Of all of them, that's like the hardest one, I, I think. Well, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people that do recover well, but um, they are generally younger than their 40s. Sure, and sure. Three years ago, had um, a slip on the ice. Um, oh. And I was just out walking with my dog, and I was in Klamath Falls, and then I woke up laying on the ground with the dog licking my face. Oh my God, so. And I don't know how long I was there. And it did take me a while to remember where I was mm -hmm. and where I was staying because I was like in this resort place, you know, where there were a lot of units. Okay. And then my sister called, I really feel weird and she goes, Nancy, with all the bangs you've had on your head, you need to, you know, go to the ER. And my friend said, oh, I'm watching her. I'm watching for all the signs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize, you know, how clueless he was about anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were in a re relationship and, and he wasn't much of an advocate. And it was a, a bad relationship, but I didn't know it yet, but it's over now. Right. So at any rate, he continued to say, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking for the signs. And I said, finally, yeah, and you're seeing them all. <laughs> so drive me to the ER, please. You know, so yeah. we were there a long time, but, but all they said was, well, you don't have a bleed, so you're fine. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. They don't, there's not much they can do, but they also don't know what to do. Yeah, and then my life just really got hard. Oh, oh really? And, and I didn't have any idea for a pretty long while that it was because of that falling on the ice again. How long ago was that? Almost three years ago. Okay. I wasn't doing well at all. One day, I had an incident. My lights were on and my car battery went dead. Some man that I don't know got in my face demanding to, that I needed to, like, start my car in a certain way. And I had already gotten my jumper cables out. I've had a lot of dead batteries in my lifetime. I know perfectly well how to jump a car. Mm -hmm. I just needed someone with a car, right. you know, close enough. Right. And I was in a parking lot, you know. So I, he was just in my face, and I said, back off, because I'm not well enough for this. Yeah. And next thing I know, you know, like, I'm just beating the crap out of this man, and people pulled me off of him. You beat, you beat him off? Well, I mean, I knocked him on the ground, and I was starting to beat him up. Wow. I hadn't beat him up yet. 
But yeah, I yeah. mean, like I couldn't get him to stop, and I didn't know what else to do. And it wasn't like I had a conscious thought. Right? No, it's uh, it's truly fight or flight. Sometimes the fight wins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just attack. Yeah. So what happened then, though, after that, that shook me up, and I went to a doctor, and I just said, "I'm in trouble. Something's yeah. wrong. Yeah. You know, something's really wrong." And I'm wondering if it's related, you know, to that fall. And she said, uh, you need to see um, this craniosacral therapist that is actually gets a lot of referrals for concussions because he's really good with the head. He kind of really saved me. And but I didn't get all better, but I had quite a few sessions with him. What kind of stuff? Um, is this gentle touch that focuses on the fluids in your body along, well, your whole body, mm-hmm. but they focus on this certain kind of rhythm. And mm-hmm. and um, my body loves it, but it's not like suddenly I'm all well. It's not like that, It's but it's really important therapy that my body is responsive to that's great um yeah and and then i also went to this concussion clinic that was like some of my other very bad doctor's appointments Hmm. and i really expected them to understand if the name of their clinic is concussion it's funny because i expected a lot of people in neuroscience to understand, but they don't. Yeah, just am blown away. I have a theory that is the same thing that you were saying in the beginning, where when your mind is a certain way and your you know, perception of everything is a certain way, and I think most people are kind of in that group. Um, I have met clinicians and I've met really full departments like where I tried to talk to them about the things that I had experienced, and they have this, I don't know what it is, but it's the clinical framework, the clinical culture. They really don't accept things that are outside of that box. And I also talked to old school psychologists, and they even more don't accept anything outside of their boxes or whatever. And But it's more ironic that they're, um, what is it, a concussion clinic? Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you about the type of training or the culture of it that they if they didn't learn it it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. um and well i've seen one speech pathologist since that bad experience okay and she was uh she really got me encouraged and then i had the same experience of you know being misunderstood let's put it that way I didn't even really get past the interview um, and the the first session because, well, first of all, they told me their names, but they never gave me anything in writing. Okay. Um, So right off the bat, I'm at a disadvantage because it's all oral. And I look like I know what's going on, but I really need more than just verbal right right um and they said well think about these things do these things and they didn't write 
anything down for me. Did you and say to them or did you have the idea? Because I, I realize that puts the onus on you, but... um. Well, there were lots of things I asked them to do uh-huh. and they said, yeah, 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 but didn't do. They were quite negative with me even before I left. Really? How so? Um, if well, you remember. So, of course, it's a student and her faculty member that's mentoring her, her or him. But right, in this case, right. they were both women. The student was very positive, and, but they were having eye glances um, with each other. Hmm. And the... Um, the faculty member was really, really closed. Her body language was closed. And I'm empathic enough that I feel, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm empathic, <laughs> You're very empathic, empathic person, but, yeah. But the feeling type was what was going on at that moment. Hmm. And so at the end, I actually asked her a question and I'm trying to remember exactly what I asked, but it was very pointed about what was her barrier or her obstacle to actually, you know, hearing me. Yeah. And that blew her away. And I then said, well, I'd like to watch this video so that I can understand, um, you know, what happened here today. Well, no, that's just for us. It's not for you. And I said, actually, that doesn't seem reasonable. And I wasn't provided a copy of all the papers that I was asked to sign. Mm -hmm. So please convince me that I signed something that said, I waive all rights to see this. Well, it's also a video of you in your session. Right. Yeah. And I'm not asking for anything else. You know, first of all, they could, but then they couldn't because all these obstacles and I kept saying okay well I'll schedule an appointment and I'll work with your obstacles because I'm not interested in looking at any other videos you know so I went through layer after layer after layer and I finally saw it you, you did and get to see the video yeah that's good the next day I had this appointment and they were like offering me this treatment plan where they they were gonna teach me how to do things that I excel at. Interesting. (laughs) And they were requiring me to have skills that I flat out told them I don't have and that I needed help with. So can you give some examples? Like what are you good at and what are the ones that you're missing? They were gonna teach me to use a calendar. (laughs) And oh my God. I could out-calendar every one of them. Right. You know, I mean, I've been a project manager. I just ran a campaign. You know, those skills are intact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I could do all those things, but that's not about using a calendar. Right. That's about managing personal energy. I was just going to add to what you're saying. The level that they brought up is when you know it, you know it, and you you know you know it. Um, Yeah, and they couldn't see it. They couldn't believe me because everybody who walks in that door sucks at that and needs that help. And they were telling me the things that I couldn't do, that what they tested me um, says I didn't have problems with that. Mm -hmm. Well, the tests have actually 
never really uncovered where my deficits are. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in the testing. So, that, oh, and they told me the plan instead of the results of the test. And I, they asked me where I wanted to start. And I said I wanted to start with the results of the test. And that's just not what they did. Yeah. So then we were out of time and they were telling me they couldn't help me. Wow. But, you know, their plan was to teach me things that I didn't need help with. I was really distraught. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're just going to drop me like this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then they were impossible to get a hold of. And then they said, okay, well, uh, somebody called and said, well, the only time we can see you is X time. And I called back and I said, actually, I have another appointment then and I'm, you know, I can't change that. So what else do you have? I'll wait another week or so. So they gave me an appointment. I brought my friend to be my advocate there Mm -hmm. because when I'm alone and I'm in this situation and I'm getting like overtaken by people who are deciding that I'm a problem because I don't fit. Yeah. Um, so I brought that friend with me, but it turned out that it was some other person, not them. And she was there only for the reason, the purpose, they never told me this, the purpose of explaining to me why they can't help me. Wow. That's so frustrating. Yeah. I cried a lot. I'm sorry. So, I want to ask, but I don't want to like let go of this. And I, I want to tell you one more story about them. So I went yes. there, and I I went, um, I got into the program, the master's program, and the funny thing was that at oh, first the master's program with the curriculum. Yeah, like I went back to school to do. Wow, the you program. were already in the program. Wow. Well, I I I was doing, I was in a completely different department in a completely different field. And I wanted to let go of that and to try to get to be a clinician. And so I was like, okay, I just got to get through this program. It can't be that hard. But the first hurdle I hit, which was hilarious, is um, I was, I was the only guy in 44 students. I was one man and 44 women. And the way that they think and talk, especially interact with the supervisors, it was very hard for me to communicate with them. I'm a guy that excels at like working with a microscope and being by myself. I couldn't really interact with them. And so it was very hard to communicate with them. For example, like I would go to these meetings with the supervisor and everything that was important, she would say it so fast. So like I would try to write it down and everything that we talked about was like, like a gloss or like, why are we talking about this? Um, and then at a certain point when I was disagreeing with them, they shifted into, oh, it's his brain injury and his social cognitive skills. And at that point, I couldn't convince them otherwise. And I, you know, I got out after six months. But the, as soon as they put that clinical lens on me, it became very emotional, very difficult. And for me, it was like, I'm going back to try to do something with my brain injury. And I hit these walls with them. And to the point where I was like, they're... You know, in, I was being mean, but I'm like, they're stupid. They don't even understand how I'm thinking. And, you know, there, there's a lot of ways. And they would benefit if they did know. Well, and, you know, I, in the end, when I got out, I actually went to a meeting with 
like the heads of the department, my wife came and my wife brought that up. She's like, don't you agree that with brain injury and with men, there's a huge issue and Daniel can help. And they said something that is, I don't have any blame for them, but they're like, we're in the business of, they didn't say business, but we're in the goal of training speech language pathologists. And if you can't, you know, abide by these things, then it's, and I agree, it wasn't the right fit. But the reasons it wasn't the right fit, it was so, um, kind of, it reminds me of the densities that you're talking about, that they couldn't get past certain things. And they're very, very set in their ways. And I, that was like, okay, that's the culture. You know, um, another exactly. example, I got a neighbor. He's a retired professor, a neighbor who's a psychologist. And I think he taught at Vanderbilt. I think he taught at some high-level schools. And I tried to talk to him about the way your mind changes with the brain injury. And he, we couldn't even get past those words. He's like, oh, you can't talk about that. And that's not the first time I've heard that. So, yeah, I bump into this a lot. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. So I want to affirm, and I'm, first of all, sorry for that experience. But they you were going are, as a patient, and that they're supposed yeah. to be able to help someone, so. But yeah. they're not, because really, they are only looking for the clients that fit the limited skills that they've been trained with. Hmm. And that's where I was stretching the student and the faculty member, because what I said while I was there is I'm actually less unusual than you think I am. There are many more of me. And as a student, do you really want to limit your future by not taking the opportunity to learn from me? Wow. Yeah, that's a deep. Over and over again, I see people don't try to do that or don't think about doing it like that. I think part of the culture is you're brain injured or you're like you're the one that's off. And then I think that the stretching you're talking about, you know who I met that really can do that? People that have done hallucinogenic drugs because they've seen how reality <laughs> was not at all what they expected. Well, that's a fabulous point <laughs> that you shared. How so? Plant medicines and hallucinogens. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a frontier that's growing. And I think, um, yeah, most people just don't get it. I also learned, you know, in the 90s, is all that, um, just say no to drugs. So I learned those drugs were dangerous. Plus, the shit that went wrong with my brain and the way I was able to fix it. I was like, I don't want to risk any of those things. So I haven't done it. I agree um, with your approach as is my approach with some differences because when I'm doing super well, I want to stay doing super well with just my brain and not alterations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had a window of a little bit of drinking, but otherwise not much until my late 50s um, when I really did begin to uh, do ceremonial plant medicines. Oh yeah? Like which one? Um, I started with peyote 
and then was working my way towards ayahuasca because that's what the calling was but i was doing medicines that would interfere and be potentially dangerous right right so i even went through uh pharmacologic withdrawal with anti-support meaning doctors that were threatening to me instead of supportive mm -hmm. for the process um but i did it because i knew that i needed to and it was brutal and it was harsh um, were those ssris or other well those that uh psychotropic meds but i was at that point not on ssris because i already knew they were not the ticket for me yeah ayahuasca then there was um mushrooms which i've like never done recreationally because everything has really been ceremony uh in ceremony and and i really believe in that sacred context sure sure well it makes and, it much more I significant that, i think yeah yeah and this and and some a couple of ceremonies i did without any sacrament because I was enjoying the ceremony and the benefit of the ritual more than I was the actual substance cool. of the medicine. So I was allowed to do that. Um, and then I suppose there's only one other one, which was San Pedro, which is somewhat of the same energy or related with um peyote huh i never heard of that one but i'm really sensitive so i've never done really high amounts sure. and one of the people i was working with she um was always well you know you'll understand when you do more you, you know and blah, blah 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 and i knew she was wrong about my experience um but even this summer I talked with another guy, it was a two-night thing, and he mentioned that based on some difference with his brain, and I think it was an injury, mm -hmm. that he doesn't have vision. Oh, wow. And a lot of people with these plant medicines, they're looking for visions, and that's what I didn't have either. And so with that conversation, Again, the value of a support group and talking to other people was that I said, and now I know that I'm still having the experience whether I have a vision or not. Right, right. And then that night I had more of a vision than I never had <laughs> once I let go of it. That's but, cool. Especially, yeah. yeah um, it's funny because I don't know a lot about support groups, but I'm glad I'm in the one we're in now. And they have support groups for a reason. I guess it's validation and hearing and mm -hmm. connecting with someone. That's something that I, I really just kept my brain injury to myself for so long. So I, I am grateful for these discussions. And I guess I'm aware of the culture that is like, oh, you need to take a heavy dose of this. You need to take a heavy dose of that. I don't think it is true for everyone, so it's good, right. that, it's good and, that you know yourself. Yeah, and then this person just, you know, um, does it regularly because she's called to serve it, uh -huh. and so that's her path, um, but 
she was not understanding me standing firm in, yes, and I support your path, but your path is not my path. Right, right. But anyway, that was interesting experience, and I see what you're saying about how freedom that people then um, allow with their minds, and I don't know if it's the psychedelic experience itself or the person who's willing to have it. That's a good point. I don't know yeah. either. I, I yeah. do know I'm a very rational and like, um yeah, I guess a rational person. And I know that the brain injury changes in me. Really, it's like if you see it, you believe it. So for me, I saw it firsthand and I felt it. And it was an experience that I can't really relate or pin down. So I've tried to come up with all these, um I don't know, euphemisms and metaphors. But it's sort of ineffable. And that's why I believe this. And that's why I'm I'm not... I guess ready to let go of it. What does ineffable mean? Oh, unexplainable. Or you can't put it into words. And, you know, forever I couldn't remember that word. And so I kept having to look it up and I just wrote it down a million times. That's how I try to remember things. So I want to ask you a lot of questions from the young age as you were feeling or aware of you're not learning the way they want you to learn. Did you develop your own ability to learn or to it's almost becomes a problem solving i know for Mm. me i make so much mistakes but then eventually i learn from it so what was it like great question there were um things that i could learn easily and things that i didn't Uh but really when i got to fourth grade and i began to like get bad grades yeah um well no my father was helping me before that because i remember So anyway, what I was trying to say is that my father really rescued me because no one at the school was noticing or helping. But I could say that my father is responsible for keeping me out of jail, not because he bailed me out, but because I was so frustrated with not being able to learn. Right. That, you know, we talked early about, you know, feeling violence. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I, I think a high proportion of people in jail are, are having trouble learning. He taught me what I couldn't learn in school at the kitchen table after dinner. Oh, that's, and, that's great. And because it was one-on-one, my learning mode was discussion. And so the aids that someone like a speech pathologist would teach would be, well, if you can't see the words, make them bigger. And if you, I'm just going to teach you how to follow dis- directions. So if you don't understand that word, I'm going to teach you how to look it up. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to teach you how to use the gadget. <laughs> and what I needed and still need is to have someone teach me how to use the gadget because I'm blind to these manuals they're not helping me at all right right and 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 i even had to say is this like against your professional ethics because to to teach you how to use the gadget to teach you how you wanted in a way right yeah right to use my you know learning the 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 learning that i'm able to use you force me into what i can't do mm-hmm. so that I continue to fail and but you try to keep me in the cookie cutter that I don't fit into mm. you know so, so what are your what are your strengths 
what are your ones that you learn well and well if you can categorize um, it yeah great question so the discussion mode is one of my uh, ways of learning well okay um and hands-on experimenting but only if i have enough knowledge going into that right hand me a gadget that i've never seen before a hands-on experimenting is not going to get me results mm -hmm. um but like i was trying to learn how to use this thing to put on my brain and the directions were crap first of all they were super small and i had a couple people try and help me um because they asked me uh to make a salt solution to soak them in i mean like that's a recipe i know how to do that that was easy but the speech pathologist person that didn't make any sense to her what do you mean she was with you in this to make a no, solution i had already she helped me later on uh -huh. and she saw that you know i had already mixed that uh-huh how could i only follow some of the instructions but not all of them that's because yeah, that's, some of them make yeah. sense and some of them don't that's so interesting because for me i experienced these relearnings the holes or the missing things was like a crawl to begin and then to repeat and then but the things that were not affected i can do very very well and really people don't understand that or they don't yeah. understand how to think about that in fact i want you to say the way you explained it again i was working so hard certain levels of cognition were gone anything with science and with math and where really getting the information into my head was such a hurdle that it it took everything and then once I was able to start that, using the information to do a math or calculations or any kind of thinking that was, and I had to have it in my head, that took um, years to regain. And that was the hardest thing. So that's, it's just the way parts get removed. Or that doesn't make sense to the outside world um, enough. Or maybe it does make sense to them, but they don't know how to, no. It doesn't make sense. To no, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm being it too nice. I'm being too nice. At all. Yeah. You're giving them too much credit. Yeah. 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 It's like this um, invisible hole that where um, that I would say about myself where I don't, I can't do something, but I can't tell them what I can't do because I can't do it. And it's a blind spot. And it's not, it seems like you really haven't had the support in a way where identifying the thing that is missing and getting kind of a comfort around it is really, really hard. The clinicians aren't going to help us do that. So we have to do it on our own. So I, everyone's, I think, doing it on their own, making up the rules on their own. Right. And that's interesting because I think I heard you say finding the things that are hard or we can't do or something like that and finding comfort in it yeah and and I didn't even know what you meant by finding comfort so maybe I'll just ask you that much oh well what I mean is like um like with with math is a example that I remember but I had a lot of other issues that I don't remember and my mom remembers and the speech therapist remembers so they've filled me in but with the math, it was like to take numbers and manipulate them in my head was so hard to do. And 
when I did it for months and months with the aid of a therapist, then the next time I tried to do things that were a little bit harder and I had that overwhelming frustration and fatigue and really just hit a wall, I was like, okay, this wall is something that I've hit before and doing little math in my head helped me be a little bit better at the the harder thing. So let's just keep doing that really slowly. Um, I had a discussion with another woman at the brain injury group that used to meet. And for her, it was walking and watering her plants. And I tried to help her, and I think I did, to take what she wanted to do and find the point where you hit that fatigue. And for her, it was a physical pain in her body. And let's get to 60% of that or get to 40% of that and start doing that every week and every day. And then she got better and she really did get better. Um, so it's finding that zone that is hard and then you get you figure out the border of it. You still got to do it a thousand times. Well, I think maybe your use of the word comfort is getting less overwhelmed and afraid because you're building on some success you've had before. So you're more comfortable with the fact that you're in a difficult position. Right. The the difficult position is still extremely difficult. Maybe comfort is too strong a word. But... The, the, but you know it's okay the early it's process the early processing was impossible and took everything and all my energy but as i gained momentum with years of it then i got more comfort also i used my learning i know how i learned in the past um a board sport where you're falling a hundred times and catching edges and it's kind of like that learning, but to do something that's really simple for others. And for me, it was things that I was once very good at that I, I really needed to gain it back. So I think for you, if you were never good at it or comfortable with it, that adds a whole nother layer of difficulty. Yeah, I think you named it because I don't even know what these areas are specifically. Yeah. It's not like I was good at it and right. now I'm not. Right. It's like um, um, you keep asking me to do this, and this isn't something I can even imagine doing. Right. Right. Because I, I like it's um, blind. Yeah. Um, and I'll use this example, but it's not me. It's a friend of mine whose husband did have. Well, he had an aneurysm, but many years before that, physical, um, like head bump trauma, did all this imaging, and there were certain parts of his brain that just didn't work anymore. Okay. And so he could still be quite brilliant, but then there were these gaping holes. Right. And, and he did end up no longer being able to work because it did end up to be a problem because he had to spend a lot of time pretending that he knew you know <laughs> what was going on because people aren't tolerant to I get this but I don't get that and of course that's the approach I take because I this pretending thing just hurts me also yeah um, except for the people think I'm pretending because I'm putting on my best face hmm. but that's not pretending I really am doing my best so again I'm being told that I'm not doing what I'm sure I'm doing. And 
And really, I am in charge of what I'm doing, and I'm not pretending. So, right, right. But anyway, it was that blind spot idea in his head. So I have this image that I have some blind spots, but one of my blind areas is I can't seem to learn the brain. Hmm. So I can't even talk about the brain. Interesting. Because I'm kind of blind to it. And it would be so useful if I did. And I'm thinking about you and the way you're describing math because I've spent a lot of time watching the same YouTube over and over again talk okay. about the brain. You know, just so that I sort of get some of the concept. So I'll, but, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about what I'm trying to do, but uh-huh. one thing in these recordings is I don't want to like share everything that I'm trying to do. Number one, because I'm not confident about it, and number two, because I I'll share it with you. I just don't want to share it with everyone. That's that's the question I went into neuroscience with, still being or being on the better side of my brain injury and my recovery, but it was like a life raft to try to make sense of what the hell happened to me. And mm-hmm. because no other neuroscientist, there's okay, there's a bunch of stuff they don't know, and then mm-hmm. none of them are brain injured or know how to think. How we're not thinking exactly the same, but we have way more overlap than most people. And I think I understand a lot of what you're saying. But with the neuroscientists, mm-hmm. it was like um, it was so frustrating and insulting and ashamed of it because I wanted to be, I don't know what I wanted to be, but I thought like a professor. I thought like this or that. The more I learned about those fields, the more I realized it wasn't at all what I had thought. And a huge, a huge thing about our brain and our nervous system connecting with our body, it doesn't, it's not designed to be understood by us when we're going through life. When it's working, like we're blind to it. And even if you're having the problems you're talking about, you're still blind to it. You're not, I don't know, I, I can't explain it yet, so I'm not going to try, but it's just a really deep question that I think the more understanding we have or even realizing that we're tied to it is would be helpful in certain ways. You know, what you said about if you're blind to it, how can you do it? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense, especially when it's stuff that people take automatically. Mm-hmm. The learning curve, the relearning for me was doing a lot of things that were once automatic. So... I have a definitely different perspective than you and like I lost it and then I tried to regain it. But if you never had it, then it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm just doing a lot of workarounds because I still um, have intelligence, but it's wearing me out. Of course, it's so much harder and it's the workarounds. I know what you mean, I think. Can you explain that? Well, um, the, the fastest way I can say it is back to when I was talking about the testing and how the testing that various professionals do hasn't hit on finding my deficits. Uh-huh. And that I'm so accustomed to doing workarounds that I can actually accomplish things even that are my deficits. There are things I do poorly I'm so accustomed to working around them that I can get them. My vision is terrible, but I can still guess the letters. And I don't know the difference between seeing the letter and guessing the letter. 
Interesting. Because I've been guessing for so long based on the shape and the likelihood of. So it's kind of a probability. That I saw it the last time I looked at that line. Because they don't realize how many times they show you the same lines. <laughs> That's so interesting. Especially, um, so how's your reading? Are, are you able to read? Oh, I suck at reading. I do read, but I hate it because it's really difficult. And when I turned 30, and I already had a master's degree, I did get um, tested um, and diagnosed with uh, uh, dyslexia. Hmm. Yeah, so, that's cumulative. But I never, yeah. Yeah, and I never got help for it. But what I have now is um, I'm eligible for talking books, and that's through Library of Congress. And that was back in a time when there weren't really as many books available on mm -hmm. audio. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the testing, again, just yesterday when I saw a doctor, he said, okay, so I'm going to do a memory test. And now this isn't the perfect test, but this is a test I can do easily with you. And, you know, so, you know, just play along with this. Mm -hmm. And it was him saying a list of words and then having me repeat back the words and then having him, I mean, as many as I could remember. And then he did that three times. Okay. And by the third time, he said, wow, you got the whole list. And furthermore, he said, and you notice the association that there were three themes of words and you picked up on that and you grouped them that way. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I said, right, I don't have a memory problem. <laughs> and this is one of the tricks that my father taught me as a child. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so then what happened with the doctor or did he accept that in a way? He did accept that because... Um, I said, because if, if I learned it, I know it. And if I didn't have a chance to learn something in a way that um, allows me to actually learn it, it looks like I have a memory problem, but actually I never learned it. Right, right. And he said that that, that is really common with brain injuries. And furthermore, he said, learning to do a gadget of something that you've never done before and following instructions is super, super common as a difficulty with right. a person with a brain injury. I've, I've seen some of the literature on that. I was also involved in a study. Like I was one of the people that they gave the gadgets to one time. Um, oh my gosh, really? But, you know, but so that, that's the funny thing. Like that's one realm but there's so much more to explore. Like if, I feel like if that's the short test they're giving you, there's still a lot that is missing, but. Oh, right. Yeah. There's just an awful lot that's missing. And I've yet to get a psychological test or um, a neuropsych test or a learning test that um, explains anything at all about me. Right. They're really slow with this, but they have no idea why, but they jump to a conclusion about why. But then when I say, why do you think it is? And I and then I disagree. Yeah. That's actually not what's happening here in this party. <laughs> yeah, that's a very frustrating place, especially when it's, you know, when I started going to the group, the groups reminded me of all the frustration 
that I had basically, I just ignored the professionals at a certain point because I was like, they don't, number one, I can't find one that gets it. The one I had was great and the insurance um, did a good job. And then when she was gone, that was the end. Um, and I met her, uh. I met the goals she had set, but the goals she had set only began me to figure out how to figure it out. Um, I want to mm-hmm. ask you about, the line that you said, what you had said to your therapist. Uh, therapist, yeah, yeah. I was beginning to feel like I was dreading having my appointments with her because she was so quick to say, well, I guess this doesn't work for you. Yeah. And and um, so in the middle of a session where she did that, I said, you know, we actually need to talk about this because it's really threatening me that you're jumping to a conclusion based on a comment I made about some about me not having the same experience that you expected but you're not asking me about it so uh, and she goes but I don't know what to do and then that's when I said I need you to be curious because if you're curious and you ask me more questions, I believe that you will know what to do. That's a great um, approach to it, especially because otherwise there is there's very little ways to continue or develop a common ground. So then, so then, what happened? Well, I went into this surreal state. In fact, I'm in it right now, just telling you about it because I was so afraid to do that. Uh-huh. And, and, but I was at the point of, I'm not going to see her anymore anyways, if, you know, we keep having to do this. And she just went, oh, okay. And then she said, all right, then let's get back (laughs) into it. And then, you know, she was able to ask me more questions like, well, does this work for you? And, you know, and, and we had a breakthrough. Very cool. But you never know which person it's going to work with. And which person it isn't. And so for me, the major growth is that um, willingness to actually ask for what I need, but let go of whether the person, you know, think of it as a seed planting. Right. Um, It may grow sometime later with someone else. It may not be with me two things i need to learn to advocate for myself and not be afraid but not put every time of advocating for myself contingent on did the person respond appropriately because i don't control that yeah that control that's a good use of the word control looking at it as a seed is really great because i haven't been able to have much discussion with people where they get kind of what i went through and kind of keep it to myself but if you can get the seed planted and then we both know any change it takes a long time so learning and relearning or it starts from a seed it doesn't happen all at once i've already spoken to two people that i they're in the beginning of their brain injury processes and i feel like it is starting to help them and you know the funny thing is the first reaction i had is like ah these kids these days have brain injury so easy. But then I was like, no, why am I even thinking like that? I'm trying to help <laughs> people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 
in the converse, if that's the right word, I know that a lot of people say, well, you can't tell someone something until they're ready. I say, not true. You can always plant a seed so that it can grow when they're ready. Because I can remember hundreds and thousands of things that people have said to me that I wasn't ready for. I didn't understand it. But now I remember it. And now I know why they said it. And now it makes way more sense because it got a chance to grow. Yeah. But had they never said it, it wouldn't have grown. 